Thank you for listening to this message from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. This is the third week, and it's the final week, so uh, I got nothing to lose. You're going to get everything tonight, so not holding anything back tonight. You're getting it. So the first week, we talked about some of the hindrances to healing, and one of the biggest hindrances to healing is when people think that somehow God is their problem. First of all, we've got to realize God is not your problem. We talked about that two weeks ago. You get the CD or the whatever, get the podcast. So that God is not doing this to me. Then last week we talked about this is not God's will for me, that God's will is for you to be well. And you can get the CD or the podcast for that too. Now this week we're going to talk about the third thing, and that is there's hope. There's hope for you. No matter what situation you're in, there is hope for you. I don't, it doesn't matter what situation there is, there is hope for you. You say, well, I don't even know God. Well, there's all kinds of hope for you because we can introduce you to Jesus tonight and you can become born again. And there's certainly hope for you. And if you already know Jesus and you've already made him Lord of your life, there's hope for you because this book is full of promises directed specifically toward you. So you can do something about it. That's the hope that you have. Well, if I can do something about it, it starts with the very first thing that you would have to get settled is you as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ have authority. Everybody say, I have authority. authority. See, many times people think that they're just victims of whatever comes their way. You know, the old silly song that was quesera, sera, whatever will be, will be. Well, that is not true. It's just not true. You don't have to take whatever comes down the pike in your life. You can resist the devil and he will flee from you. You have authority over Satan. Jesus gave you that authority. The first verse I want to look at today, Luke chapter 10, starting with verse 19. Let's put that up there if you would. There it is. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now, we're going to do this real quickly. That is authority and power. It says, behold, I give you authority over all the power of the enemy. So it's not to say that Satan doesn't have power. It's to say that you have authority over his power. So what's the difference between power and authority? Give you a simple example. If you have an 18-wheeler going down the road at 55 miles an hour and it weighs approximately 40,000 pounds, that's power. If you get in his way, it's not going to go well for you, okay? But if you have a skinny little Barney Fife deputy with the shakiest gun in the West and he stands up and he has a badge which represents authority and he goes like this, You know what happens to that 40,000 pounds going 55 miles an hour? It screeches to a halt. Why? Because authority trumps power. And Jesus gave you authority over all the power of Satan. So Satan can roar. Satan can do all his stupidity he wants. You have authority over all the power of the enemy. And then finish the verse. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. When my little boy was growing up, he was two or three, he'd be afraid. 
I, had, I have five little boys, so I did this with all of them. But the last one in particular, I would pray with them every night, and I, I adapted this prayer, and, I, and I, our prayer was this. I'd lead them in this prayer. I'd say, Father, I thank you that you've given me authority over all the power of the devil, and no bad guys can come near our house, and no sickness can overtake me. And I have nothing shall by any means hurt me. And here's a three-year-old saying, I have power over the devil. See, if you have little kids, teach them they have power over the devil. Because they do. Because in the name of Jesus, they have authority over all the power of the enemy. Great verse. Now, Mark 16. Next one. These signs shall follow those that believe in my name. Now, the punctuation... It, wherever it is, as it is, but I believe it's these signs shall follow those that believe in my name. Because if you go to 1 John, it says, if you believe in my name, then you're my disciples. So if these signs shall follow those that believe in my name, what does it say they'll do? It says they'll cast out demons, speak with new tongues, drink any deadly thing and it won't harm them, and they'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. Wow, that's quite, a, that's quite a job description for you guys. That's for you guys. That's not just for preachers anymore. Okay, that's for you guys. It says, these signs shall follow those that believe. Now, my question is, do you believe in the name of Jesus? If the, if the answer is yes, the second question is, do you have hands? Okay, everybody hold up your hands. Say, I believe in Jesus' name. And these are my hands. So these are believers' hands. So I can lay my believers' hands on sick people. And God said he would heal them. It's pretty simple. It's pretty simple. Doesn't say you have to be perfect. Doesn't say you have to have every word of the Bible memorized. Doesn't say you have to have never sinned in the last 42 years. It just says, if you believe in my name, these signs shall follow you. So, but see, they only follow you if you believe. And they only, it only works if you actually lay your hands on people when they're sick. And you have to ask permission first. That's just a common sense thing. Don't go laying hands on people if, they're, if they don't want you to, please. You say, may I lay hands on you? Okay, you don't just do it, all right? Else you might get slapped. And don't do it from behind or you might get punched, okay? So, no suddenly either. So, anyway. Um, the authority that we have as believers starts way back in Genesis. Let's look at this. It says, then God blessed them, Genesis 1, 28. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, every living thing that moves on the earth. See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth, and every tree which yields seed, and, you, and this shall be your food. Now he says here, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion. He made Adam and Eve in the garden to have dominion, to have authority over the entire earth. This, this whole concept that man is intruding on Mother Earth, I'm sorry, it's not true. The earth was put here for us, and God told us to take dominion over the earth. Okay, it says we have authority over all the fish, all the things, everything that creeps, so you have authority over creeps. So that works. 
So Romans 8, 37, we're going to go quick. Romans 8, 37 says, we are yet in all these things. There's a whole bunch of things that are preceding this. We're not going to go through those. It says, we are more than conquerors, more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Well, if you're a conqueror, it means you, you had the fight and you fought the fight and you, did, you won the deal. But if you're more than a conqueror, you get to participate in the victory without having fought the victory. See, that's more than a conqueror. See, Jesus fought the fight, right? Jesus defeated Satan, all, all the power of hell. Jesus defeated it at the cross. And then he gave us his victory. He has made us more than conquerors. He's made us victorious. He gave it to us. He gave us the victory. Acts 4.10, the name of Jesus. He's given us his name. Jesus has given us as believers the power of attorney to use his name. That's a big deal. You're, a good name is to be chosen over riches, it says in Proverbs. And Jesus is the name above all names. There's no other name higher than the name of Jesus. And he's given his name to us as his believers his name to use and to use with authority. Let's look at Acts chapter 4. The disciples, they heal, they, they heal a guy, right? And here it says in Acts chapter 4 verse 10, it says, Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. So they were saying, how did this man get healed? How did this man get well? What happened? They're, it's talking about the man at the, at the gate where they said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, rise up and walk. And then they, they made a big ruckus about that. So the disciples are just saying, hey, it's by the name of Jesus. You know that guy that you crucified a few years ago? Yeah, he raised from the dead and he healed this guy. So that's what the disciples are saying. It's through the name of Jesus that the power of God healed this man who had been crippled and had been sitting at the gate begging for years and years. So first of all, you have authority, okay? You have been given the name of Jesus, which is the most powerful name on the earth. There's no name higher than Jesus. So what, first of all, as you, as you establish the fact, you have authority. You're a believer, you've got believer's hands. And if you lay hands on the sick, what does it say? They'll recover. If we place our hands on sick people, God says he will honor that. And the healing power of God transfers through the laying on of hands and healing takes place. So what should we do? In our, in our own lives, what can we do? What is our hope? What is our action steps, if you will? What should we do to manifest healing in our lives? First of all, put the word of God in your heart. You got to put the word in your heart. My son, give attention to my words, Proverbs 4. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes or keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those that find them and health to all your flesh. The word of God is health. It's life. It's health. The word life there is, is it, it, it's God's kind of life. It's not, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, they use the word zoe there, um, the Septuagint. And it's God's kind of life. So the word of God is life to you and it's health. So the first thing we have to do 
is we have to put God's word in our heart. Hide his word in our heart. What does it say? What did Jesus say? He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It's food. The word of God is nourishment for your spirit. Remember Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. Memorize it. Quote it. Remind yourself of it. Put it in your heart. Put it in your memory. Commit it to memory. Never let it go. Bless the Lord. That's thanking him, praising him. And remember that he heals all your diseases and he forgives all your sins. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So how, where do, what do you do? You put God's word in your heart. Put it in, put it in, put it in. Keep putting it in. Psalm 107, 20, I, he sent his word and healed you. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from all their destructions. He sent his word. So there's healing resident in the word of God. You just start listening to healing scriptures. Just start listening to them. Start listening to them. Play them over and over and over again. You say, you, know, you have to get delivered from the fear of repetition if you're gonna if you're gonna walk in faith. Okay, if you're afraid, well, I heard that before. That's great. Hear it again. Well, I heard that ten times. That's great. Hear it fifty times. And every time you say, Well, I heard that before, I'm gonna say, Great, hear it again. Because Faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing, okay? And hearing and saying and then obeying whatever the Lord tells you to do. Next thing we got to do, conquer our thought life. These are all kind of interrelated. We have to conquer our thought life. You can't be walking around thinking, oh, man, I hope this works. I hope this works. I hope this works. Or start talking about how bad you feel all the time or talking fear and doubt and all these other things. You can't be talking that way and then have somebody pray for you and then as soon as you leave, start talking all this negative stuff again. Okay, we have to get consistent on all of our fronts. We have to get our mind consistent with the word of God. We have to get our mouth consistent with the word of God and we have to renew, put the word of God in our heart. We have to get all three things lined up. Remember we talked last week about your mind, your will, and your emotions? Okay, we talked about body, soul, and spirit, your mind, will, and your emotions. They have to be lined up. You got to get all those things lined up. And when you get your will and your mind lined up, your soul comes in line. And when you get all those three lined up, your body comes in line. Okay, you know what I'm saying? We got to get in line here. Get in alignment. It's kind of like a chiropractor. You got to get lined up. Okay? So you get your alignment between your body, your, your mind, will, and emotions, and then your spirit, soul, and body will get lined up. But you got to keep them lined up. It, it's easy to get misaligned in the world. It's real easy to get misaligned, both physically and emotionally and mentally. It's just real easy to get misaligned. So keep the word in there. Conquer that thought life. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, this next one's huge, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience 
of Christ. Let's break this down quick. It says, we, we war, we walk in the flesh, but we don't war according to the flesh. It says, but our, but our weapons, they're mighty. Here's what they do. They, the weapons of our warfare, which is the word of God, this is the sword of the spirit, it casts down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So when you put the knowledge of God in your heart, you get a, a, a word from God. Maybe your word is, by Jesus' stripes, I was healed. Or I'm going to remember his benefits for he, for he sent his word and he healed me. That's the, that's the knowledge of God. Then the, the high thing that exalts itself is this little voice in your head that says, yeah, but that doesn't apply to you. Another high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God says, yeah, but what about that pain? If you're really healed, how come you still hurt? All those things, they're, they're things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. They're thoughts that come and they're attacks from your, either from your own carnal mind or from the enemy and they come to assault the truth of the word of God that you're placing in your heart. You put the word of God in your heart and then Assaults come in your mind, and you have to cast down those high things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. We have to cast them down. We say, no, I, I, I consider God's word more true than how I feel. I consider God's word more true than what I think. I consider God's word more true than what somebody says, because God's word is true and the Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. And God's word is not dependent upon our circumstances or what we think. God's word is true all by itself. So that's what we need to do. Just take God's word and let God's word be our filter and do a warfare with God's word. And as you renew your mind, here's the good news. If you put enough of God's word in your heart, in your mind, and in your mouth, there's no room for anything else because it's kind of like when you walk into a room and there's dark, you go, oh no, there's darkness in here. All you got to do is flip on a light and the darkness is irrelevant, right? So you flip on the light of God's word in your heart, in your mind, in your mouth, and all the darkness, it just, it just, it overcomes darkness effortlessly because darkness is already overcome. We just need to apply the word of God in our hearts, in our minds. Romans 12, 2, it says, renew, oh, let's read it. Romans 12, oh, you guys are on the ball. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does it mean to renew your mind? It means to replace my thoughts with God's thoughts. It's that simple. I used to think this, God's word says this, I agree with God's word. That's the simplest form I can give you. That is renewing your mind. Replacing your thoughts with God's thoughts, okay? So that's simple. Renew your mind. Um, then confession. It needs to be in your mind, in your heart, and out coming out your mouth. Confession, Romans 12, 11, or Revelation 12, 11, rather. Revelation 12, 11 says, they overcame him, that's Satan, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Now, I'm going to put a plug in for the testimony service on the night before Thanksgiving. We're going to have a testimony service on the night before Thanksgiving. We're running it. It's going to be right here. It's going to be awesome. So y'all come. There. That was my advertisement. 
but they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. What is the word of their testimony? Is, is it about every time about how they got saved? Not necessarily. It's testifying of God's goodness in their life or even testifying God's word as it's true regardless of what they see around them. That's how you overcome the enemy. By the blood of the lamb, that's our authority. The blood of the lamb is the authority. And the word of our testimony is the enforcement. That's our, our confession. The word of our testimony is our confession. Psalm, Psalm 107.2 says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If you've been redeemed by the, from the power of the enemy, you need to say so. You need to enforce it. Say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Romans 8.31 says, What shall we say to these things? It's talking about pestilence and all these bad things that are going on. What shall we say to these things? Well, what shall we say? If God be for me, who can be against me? That's what it says to say. So when bad things are going on, remember who is on your side. God's on your side. And if God is on your side, God and you make a majority. That's the bottom line. So then there's always a point of contact. Everywhere in the Bible, in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's 25, I've counted them, there's 25 specific individuals that were healed by Jesus. Now, this does not include those that were raised from the dead. It does not include the masses where it says he healed them all or the multitudes or the throngs. And it also does not, this basically just includes individuals who came to him. Okay, there's 25 individuals that came to Jesus that are named different individuals. Some people are named in all four books. Some are named in one or two. But these are different individuals that were named in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 25 of them. Of the 25 who came to Jesus, how many of you think were actually healed? Somebody tell me. Thank you. Of the 25 who came to Jesus, all 25 were healed. This wasn't, oh, 12 or 18. It was all 25. Now, I'm a kind of good with math. Not so good with English, but real good with math. I'm a kind of. Sorry about that. 25 of 25 is 100%. Right? That's pretty good. Pretty good odds, right? 25 people came. 25 people were healed. Now, that does not include the 10 lepers because I counted the 10 lepers as, as one. Okay? 25 individuals came. 25 were healed. Now, Scripture says... God is no respecter of persons. If he's no respecter of persons, what's the deal? That's what I always say to God. Hey, what's the deal? How, what am I missing here? Of the 25, 19 of the 25, Jesus lovingly said to them, be it unto you as you have believed. So be it unto you as you have believed or something like that. Your faith has healed you. Be it unto you as you have believed. If you can believe, all things are possible. Any variation of that. But the basic thing was, be it unto you as you have believed. Or as you expected, that's what you're going to get. So the problem that we have 
in America is we don't expect enough. Because if you go to some of these other countries, they get there and, and man, everybody gets healed. And we come to America and people say, well, you know, if this doesn't work, I'll just go over here and do that. They aren't expecting. You have an expectancy problem. So I, what I want to do today, today is not to condemn anybody. I want to encourage you and I want to say, get your expector up. Get your expectancy up because God wants you well. He wants us well. One of the, there's many ways that God uses, that Jesus used when he, was on, when he was on the earth. He used many different methods of healing. But Covenant's going to talk about a couple of them here. One of them was when he just declared it to the centurion. The centurion came to him. He was a man of authority. He said, hey, my servant's dying. He said, he said, I'm not even worthy to have you come to my house. He said, your servant lives. All he said was, your servant lives. Didn't lay hands on him. Didn't throw spit in his eye like he did sometimes. Didn't, didn't do anything. He just said, your servant lives. That's all he said was he spoke a word. So sometimes it was just a declarative healing. He just declared it. He just declared, your servant lives. All he said was, he just declared it. That was Jesus. He just declared it. Sometimes. Other times he laid hands on people. Other times people touched him, right? The woman with the issue of blood. She came through the crowd, fought through the crowd, got through all the people, crawled on her hands and knees, and she said, if I can only touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. What was she doing? That was her expectancy, right? And he said to her, your faith has made you whole. What was her faith? Her faith was, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. She touched the hem of his garment. It says power left him, and he didn't know where to. Now, we're talking about Jesus here. And he did not, it was not his, this was not some sovereign work of Jesus that caused this healing because he didn't even know who it was. He said, hey, who touched me? What's going on here? I felt something go out of me. I felt healing virtue, he says. I felt healing virtue go out of me, and I don't know who did that. Who touched me in faith? It's basically what he was saying. So this whole thing was, well, if God wants me healed, I'll be healed. Well, that, li that little lady with the issue of blood did not believe that because Jesus didn't even know that she was getting healed. She touched him, and she put a draw on the anointing on his life, and she pulled it out of him by touching his garments. So this whole idea, well, if God wants me well, I'll be well. Well, if God wants your hair combed, he would have combed it this morning, but I think you helped, didn't you? Sometimes things that we say are just silly, okay? God put us here for a reason. He gave us a will, and he gave us a brain, and we need to use it, okay? Sometimes Jesus, did, he did lay hands on people. He went through the crowds. In Mark 6, he laid hands on a few people. Nobody believed him, but he still was able to heal a few people by laying hands on them. On Luke 4, he laid hands on the multitude, and he touched them all. It said, and as many as he touched were made whole. In Mark chapter 16, it tells us to lay hands on the sick, and they'll recover. In Luke chapter, or I'm sorry, James chapter 5, verse 14, it says... That if any of you are, if any among you are sick, let him call for the elders of the church. Let him anoint him with oil. And, the, let, and if 
they have sinned, they'll be forgiven. And the prayer offered in faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up. It says the elders of the church should lay hands on people and anoint them with oil. And it says the prayer offered in faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up. So let's get one thing settled. Pastor Dwayne can't heal you. I certainly can't heal you. Benny Hinn can't heal you. No man on this earth can heal you and no surgeon can heal you. Only the Lord can heal you. Now, sometimes he uses surgeons. Sometimes he uses antibiotics. Sometimes he uses vitamins a lot. Sometimes he uses eating right and exercise, okay? But ultimately, the only way any of us are healed or well is because of the power of God in our lives, whether whatever venue that he uses or whatever avenue that he uses. So let's be realistic that no matter what happens, if we lay hands on the sick and they recover, it's God. If we anoint him with oil, it's God. If we speak to him, it's God. It's all God, okay? So if we pray for them, and they're not here, it's God. If we declare it, it's God. So the Lord is the only one that can heal. The blind man came to Jesus in Mark chapter 8, verse 22. The blind man came to Jesus and he said, have mercy on me. So Jesus put hands on him. And he says, so how's it going? He says, well, I see, but I see men that look like trees. So the thought that you have to get it all on the first take isn't true. Because even Jesus prayed for this guy, and it didn't manifest all at once. I'm trying to kick over all the sacred cows all at once tonight, okay? So even Jesus laid hands on this guy, and he said, so, can you see better? He said, well, kind of, but it's pretty blurry. So he said, Jesus didn't go, didn't work. No, he didn't do that. You know what he did? He goes, oh, okay. Puts his hand on him again. He says, yeah, how's that work now? He goes, hey, looks great. He said, don't tell anybody, all right? I still don't really know why he didn't let him tell anybody, but that's beside the point. The point is this. God anointed Jesus, Acts 10, 38, with power, and he went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the evil one. The same anointing that was on Jesus is on us as believers, it's true. Same anointing. That same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. Dwells in you. And it quickens your mortal body. So when you lay hands in the sick, it's not you laying hands in the sick. What The reason we lay hands in the sick is because we're saying, God, let that same healing power that raised Jesus from the dead, the same healing power that raised that woman with the issue of blood, the same healing power that healed that blind man, that same healing power, that same healing virtue, God, could you use these, these hands right here? Could you use them? And when I place them on these people, would you transmit some healing power supernaturally into this person and make them well. That's what we're asking God. And that's not hard. Anybody can do that. You know that? The results don't belong to you. I would say this to you, because there's a lot of people say, well, I laid hands on them and they got worse. Yeah, I've had that too. I've laid hands on people and they've died a lot. But I've laid hands on people and they've been healed a lot. So what's the, what's the point? Lay hands on the sick. 
Because you know what? The results don't belong to you. The results belong to God. Because, you know, here's what I came to. If I laid hands on them and they got well, would I take the credit? Only if I'm really stupid. Okay? So if I lay hands on them and they don't get well, should I take the blame? Only if I'm really stupid. Okay? So in other words, our job is merely to lay hands on the sick, but do it in faith. But it's not your job to determine, oh, I got to do this, and they better get well, because if they don't, I'm going to be embarrassed. Why? You really think you can heal them? Newsflash, you can't. All you can do is be obedient to the Holy Spirit and do what he tells you to do. And if you do that, then it's your job is done. Back off and let him do the work. And if it doesn't work, say, I don't know, let's, let's pray and ask God. Because you know what? I don't know. Be honest. Don't make stupid stuff up. Sorry, I'm using stupid night. Don't make silly stuff up. My wife gets mad at me when I say that word. And so I won't do that anymore. Because she's sitting back there. She's going to bust me later. <laughs> so we, our job is simple. Our job is lay hands on the sick. Let the power of God work. Just, just let the power of God flow through you. Be a vessel. Let him work through you. If you'll just let him work through you, you know what? You'll be amazed at what happens. Last Wednesday night, I saw a, a young man get free at the altar right here. He was bound up by, by fear and stuff. And I sat with him and I prayed with him and I spoke to it and I laid hands on him and I spent about 30 minutes with him. And anybody who was here, he was a mess when he came up here. You know when he left? He was calm. He was happy. He came back to me on Sunday, gave me some salsa and some chips and said, dude, thanks for helping me. And he's happy. And he was like, hey, we're good to go. And it's like, you know what? People get changed, but you got to do something. You got to, you, you can't just let, oh, man, I'll just, I'll pray for you later. Maybe if I remember. Baloney. Someone comes to you, say, let's pray right here. You can be a target. Pray for him. You can be in Walmart, pray for him. Doesn't matter. Or you can be in some good store and pray for him too. <laughs> but you can pray for him right there. You don't have to wait to come to church. Well, I'll take you to the pastor. He'll pray for you. No, you pray for him. I'm busy enough. You pray for him. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying, dude, they're your friends. Pray for him. I'll pray for him if you bring him up here. But, you know, you can do it too. I'm being silly. Bottom line, let's wrap this up. We need to recognize our authority. Recognize who we are in Christ. Man, you are a giant killer. You are a giant killer. That's who you are. That's who you are. The greater one lives on the inside of you. Greater is he that lives in you than he that's in the world. Period. Renew your mind. Understand who you are. Take authority over your thought life. Don't let the devil run your mind. Get authority over your mind. Say, I will not think these thoughts. You're laying down, your mind's racing. You just look, put your hands on your head and say, peace. I will not think these crazy, you know, fearful thoughts. I mean, I've done this silly stuff where I say, I will not think those thoughts. Get out of here. Go. And I just put the word of God in my head. You think I'm crazy, don't you? It's all right. It works. It works. And then after you've labored, 
enter into God's rest. Because there is a rest that is for the believer. I've been, I've been all worked up tonight. I know it, and it's, part, it's because it's in me, and i got to get this all out of me in 30 minutes. But we can enter into that rest. We can believe to rest and rest in God's goodness. Hebrews 4.11 says, labor, therefore, to enter into rest. Hebrews 4 says, labor, therefore, to enter into rest. I remember there was a, a very crucial time in my life when my father, um, who was my best friend, at the, he, my dad was walking from our, my parents' kitchen to the living room, and he was carrying a plate of food. It was my mom's birthday, and he was walking through there, and all of a sudden, he just fell over sideways, just boom, and he vomited. He uh, uh, messed his pants, and he was in convulsions. He was having a massive stroke is what he was doing, and they horribly misdiagnosed him at the hospital, told him he had gastritis, and so within 24 hours, he had another even worse catastrophic stroke, and his brain started to swell, and he had all kinds of stuff going on in his head, and they started putting, drilling holes in his head and letting fluid out so his brain wouldn't, like, die from so much pressure, and the doctors basically said, I'm so sorry, your father's brain is dead, and I said, no. I'm not going to take it. My dad's going to live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. Okay? Don't clap yet because there's a lot of pain coming up here yet. So I stood there and talked to that doctor, that Mr. Neurosurgeon who thought he was God with a ponytail, looking at me, nothing against ponytails, but this particular doctor thought he was God. And he was like, well, you can quote all the Bible verses you want. Your father's brain is dead. I said, my father's going to live and not die. He goes, you can think all you want, but I am not going to do any surgery. I said, then I'm going to get a different doctor. And I said, I demand a different doctor for my father because this guy doesn't have any faith and he won't listen to us. And they gave me a different doctor who was a Christian. He came to me and he goes, calm down, Mr. Blaukamp. I said, I am not going to calm down until you tell me you're going to do what we, everything we can do to save my dad. He goes, I'll do everything I can. You're obviously a believer. I said, absolutely. He goes, I am too. I said, well, my dad's going to live. He goes, I wish I had a son like you that would fight for me. So we sat there, and I sat there for two and a half days. Some of my family members came in there, and they said, oh, God, take him quick. I'm sorry, when you're in a battle... You don't have time to be nice? I told him, shut up and leave. I did. My sister was not happy with me. I said, shut up and leave if you're going to ask God to take him quick. We're praying that he lives, you goof. He got, he went like that and left. I said, good, stay away until you can get some faith because I ain't putting up with this. So he left and they left. And I said, good. I don't need that unbelief in here. You know, Jesus did that. When he went to Jairus' house, they were mocking him, saying, she's dead. Ha, ha, ha. What do you mean she's sleeping? He goes, really? Out. He kicked them all out. So I'm in good company kicking people out who aren't, who aren't believing like you. Okay? So we sat there. I sat there by myself because nobody else would stay. So I sat there through the night, just laboring, battling for my dad, 
speaking life. I declared over him, I don't know how many thousand times, my dad will live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. Psalm 118. I will live, my dad will live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. And we sat there, and I sat there for two and a half days. And some people came and left. I sat there by my dad. I literally fell asleep because I was just exhausted. The doctor came in, a different doctor, and said, I'm so sorry about your father. He, he should be passing soon. I was in a dead sleep. I sat up and said, you be quiet. My dad's going to live. I laid back down. And I was just exhausted. They said, you just woke up out of a dead sleep, yelled at the doctor, and laid back down. And went back to snoring. The good news is this. 21 days we played healing scriptures in my dad's room. He woke up. He was not all there yet. Another month and a half, almost two months in rehab, he still wasn't all there yet. This happened in March, but in August, he came home. And by October, he was walking. By November, he was driving his car. Thank you, Jesus. Now you can clap. Now, my dad had nothing to do with that. He was in a coma. But we had spiritual authority in that situation because I asked my mother if this is what we could do. Are you in agreement with me? I don't care what my brother-in-law thinks. I don't care what anybody else thinks. Mom, are you in agreement with this? She said, yes. Okay, I can hook my train to that. We had spiritual authority. You can't just go in and empty the hospital because you don't have the spiritual authority to do that. Okay? They have to give you permission. Okay? And you have to have spiritual authority in that situation. You already have spiritual authority over your kids. You have spiritual authority over your loved ones if they're in a coma, as long as their spouse or parent gives you permission. That's the key. That is the key. That's why, you don't, that's why when you try to go empty the hospital, it doesn't work, because you don't have spiritual authority to do that. You gotta have spiritual authority. You have to be operating within your spiritual authority for you to accomplish and really have the kind of results you wanna have. So I told you that story for one reason that sometimes you just have to get this rest. I labored and I got to a rest. In the middle of the night, I remember, I'll go backwards, and that first night, about three in the morning, I had been just quoting the word, pacing the floor to stay awake, quoting the word, quoting the word, quoting the word, quoting the word, just back and forth, rapid fire. And all of us, and just on me, all of a sudden, I just got this overwhelming sense of joy so I started to, started to sing and shout in the room, and I didn't quote scripture anymore. I was done. I did the work. I got the victory. I entered into rest. So you labor, but then you labor until you enter into rest. And what happened is faith came. Faith came, and I went, oh, my dad's going to be, he, he's going to be fine. I just had this knowing that he was going to be fine. It didn't look like he was going to be fine, but I had this knowing. What was that? That was called laboring to enter into rest. That's what that is. And so you labor, but your goal is always to enter into rest because that's where the place of faith is. The place of faith is a place of rest. You can rest in knowing that God is for you, that God is working on, on your behalf, that his power is still available to you. We Faith is just a situation where you're fully persuaded that something has transpired in the unseen realm and you are awaiting its arrival or awaiting its manifestation in the seen realm. That's what faith is. 
Faith is the evidence of things hoped for, the substance of things not seen. Actually, it's substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. Translation, you are absolutely positive that something has happened in the spirit realm and you're awaiting its manifestation in the natural realm. That's what faith is. You are absolutely convinced. That's a place of faith. Now, how do you get to that place of faith? We just talked about that. You realize your authority. You understand. You renew your mind. You take authority over your mind, and you put the word in until faith comes, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. For more information about Res Life, please visit our website at reslife.org. If you have questions about Res Life or would like directions to visit us, please feel free to call 616 534 4923.